And it reads, Children, it is the last hour as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become, a, might become plain that they were all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is out of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let me have your seat. Let's pass the talk Good morning. We are here in 1 John chapter 2, uh, walking our way through this uh, short letter, this power-packed letter. If you've been with us, you know this letter really holds two things. Brian, your, your beard just threw me off, bro. I'm like, we, we got a guy sitting in the audience, I don't know. Uh, sorry about that, it just threw me off. You look sharp, though, it looks good. Uh, let me re- re- redo this all over again. If you've been with us, this little letter is, is about two things. It's about loving God and loving God's people. And John is really trying to encourage us that you have to have both. One without the other will not work. Last week, John, this is just the way I read things. I think and uh, think through pictures. And so uh, this is not in the text, but I've been journeying us through this uh, classroom setting, this school setting, if you will. Last week, we sat at the lunch table and John offered us this huge meal for us to partake in. And then in my eye, as I read the text, there's this small little break called recess. And now he's going to take us in to what I would call is the science lab. The next few weeks, he's going to take us into the science lab. I I don't know about you, but science lab was some of my favorite times in school. Because I, I don't like just sitting in a pew or in a desk and just having knowledge dumped on me. I I like using my hands to figure things out. Anyone else that way? Like, I really love using my hands to figure things out. That's what John is now going to do. 
He's going to move us into this classroom, this science lab setting to show us what is true and what is not true. This whole passage this morning is all about discernment. You see, we live in a world today that says we don't have to have discernment or there, there is no such thing as absolute truth. You decide what is true. And what is true for you may not be true for me, but just because it's true for me doesn't mean it's true for you and vice versa. There is no absolute truth. You go on to a college campus right now. It, it, there is no more absolute truth. But here's the greater fear even in that. The Church of America, we're beginning to lose truth. And so John is saying to us the way he is saying to his children many, many years ago, let us not be fooled that Acts, the Acts 2 church didn't have the same problems that we have today. Like I know for you, maybe for me, I think, man, I would love to get back to Acts 2 church. And John, this is just a few years after Acts chapter 2. And John's like, hey, it's already started. Like it's already beginning to happen that truth is getting watered down, that truth isn't truth anymore. You see, for us in America, in the church, if you preach God's word for what God's word really is, it will not grow your building. It's really easy to have a mega church. It's really, it would be really easy for Powell's Chapel to become this massive church. All I would have to do is tell you what you hear without telling you what you need to hear. This is what Paul warns young Timothy of in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, for the time is coming when people will endure, will not endure sound doctrine. but will have itching ears that will suit their own passions and desires. You see, it would be very easy for me to teach, to appeal to your passions and your desires. And I could do it in such a way that would seem like it's from God's Word. But that would be of great harm and of total disrespect to God's word and that is what john is getting at today and now john is going to take us into the science lab to say how do we know what truth is can we really know the truth what is the truth and what is the lie and that is my hope for us this morning that you will walk out of here and you will know how to have discernment what the truth is and what a lie is and here's the deal you don't have to go to seminary to know that because if you had to go to seminary, a lot of people would be in a lot of trouble. Because very few of us go. So John is going to say to us, here in this lab, let's look at what it looks like to have spiritual discernment that knows the truth versus lies. We're going to look at three things, how we know that. Those three things are to avoid spiritual deception or spiritual lies, you first must be have spirit-filled discernment. The second is this. 
to avoid spiritual deception, you must have spirit-filled doctrine. I'll get to the word doctrine. I know that's a theological word. It's a really simple word. And the last one is this. To avoid spiritual deception, you must be and must have spirit-filled devotion. We're going to look first at this idea of spirit-filled discernment. Here's what Paul, or John says in the first few words. He says, children. So he's appealing to them. He's saying to them in this fatherly moment, hey, there, there's going to be these moments that the truth is going to seem so watered down. So he's appealing to them. He's begging them to listen to him as a father. Think about that. How often do you have children? You're like, oh, just please listen to me. Right? We have wisdom that our children do not have. And so we're going to appeal to that. That's what John said. Hey, listen to me. Listen up, children. And he says this. I need you to listen up because you're in the last hour. Now, this is important to circle this in your Bible or in your journals. What is John referring to when he says the last hour? He is not simply saying, hey, Jesus is about to return today, though he might. What, what this last hour means is the time period between Jesus' ascension back to the Father and his return to call the elect. And so we're, we are in the last hour, which means this is really important what he's about to tell us. And so now he says we're in the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. We know that from Daniel chapter 7. There, there's these moments that the prophecy is there is going to be the Antichrist. Now, who that is, we have no idea. We can assume it's Satan, but in the text, we have no idea. This is the only place in all the Bible that the word Antichrist is mentioned and so he's saying there is one that's coming. The word antichrist simply means this, one that's against Christ. And he says there is one that's coming, but he now says there's a lot of those who have already come. He says that in the text. So now many antichrists have already come. There are a lot of antichrists that come, so we need discernment. What do we first need discernment with? We need spirit-filled discernment with religion. Religion simply is this, a relationship with God. Think about all the religions that have been started since Christ. Who John is talking to now and against is the Gnostics. That was a religion that began to come up within the church. That is who he's talking about. Hey, there's these men that were, were a part of us that they are no longer a part of us. Who are those men? Those are the Gnostics. The Gnostics were this. It was a religious group of people that simply did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, that's a problem. But many people began to follow the Gnostics. Now, on paper, you'd be like, I wouldn't do that. Well, let's go through some other religions. Remember Jim Jones? That dude was quacky. Like he took 800 people to some remote island and then they all drank Kool-Aid. That's where we get to saying, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Because those 800 people drank the Kool-Aid and they all died. Because one man said he had heard from God. 
And these 800 people began to follow that one man. Now, if you know anything about Jim Jones, you know where he started? The church. He sat in a pew just like you're sitting in a pew. And at some point in sitting in a pew, he decided this wasn't true. That ought to frighten us. Remember Joseph Smith. That name ring a bell? That, that's the Mormons. Now, if you go read the Book of Mormon, it sounds a lot like this. I mean, a whole lot like this. But you know where, where Joseph Smith started? In a pew, just like you're sitting in. It wasn't like he was at some bar getting drunk, like dipping back and like had this revelation and drunk fest. You know, drunk people do come up with some crazy things. That was not Joseph Smith. He was sitting in a pew reading God's word and thought, ah, something's missing. Something's missing. And he began to put down on paper what he believed was missing. That's how we got the Book of Mormon. That should terrify us. Let me keep going. Remember Waco? Some of y'all, this crowd over here, they too young. They're like, where's Waco? It's in Texas. Speaking of Texas, anyone see the game yesterday? Uh, never mind. Big 2-0 champs. Just kidding. No, I'm serious. We did win. Remember Waco? David Koresh? Remember what he did? That dude was cray-cray. I mean, there's crazy and there's cray-cray. That brother was crazy. But how did he get all these people to follow him into a house in the desert and then start talking that he was, he said he was Jesus. Now, when you hear that, you ought to be like, that is beyond crazy. But here, this guy, David Koresh, did that. And we know how the story ends. All those people in that house died that day. He would have told you he was doing it because Jesus told him to do it. Again, this is who John is appealing to in this passage. We must have great discernment of what it means to be in relationship with God. I'm going to get that at the end of the passage. Like, how do people end up doing that stuff? It's because, as the, we'll see in the application, they're not spirit-filled in their devotion. So do you and do I have a discernment about religion? Well, how do we have discernment about religion? It's in the next text. We must have spirit-filled discernment about theology. The word theology simply just means this. It means that the way that we study God. And then John says to us, this is why it's so important here in the text. He says, those guys, those men, those Gnostics, in verse 19, they went out from us. But they were never really a part of us. For they had been with us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they, it might become plain to you all that they were not of us. Verse 20. But you, catch that in the text. But you who remain faithful to God, he says this, 
but you have been anointed by the Holy One and have all knowledge. Think about that for a moment. What John is saying to them, and this remember who he's talking to. He's not talking to the mature. He's talking to who? The children. And he's saying to the children, hey, they weren't a part of us. You are a part of us. How come you're a part of us? Because you stayed with us. How did you stay with us? Because you've been anointed. The anointing from who? The Holy One. Jesus he's talking about. The Holy One is Jesus. But he says to them, he anointed you. The anointing is what? The Holy Spirit. So at the moment of your conversion, of my conversion, the God of the universe loved us enough to impart in us the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, at the moment of your conversion, you now have what? All knowledge. I got one amen. Let me say it again. I know the study of God's word is a lifelong process. But at the moment of your conversion, you have all that you need to know God's word. Let me try this again. At the moment of your conversions, you have all that you need for a life of godliness and holiness to know God's word. Amen. Amen. Because why? When I, even as a child, sit down with God's holy word, God's spirit in me will begin to reveal to me what God's word says to me. Now, again, we must continue to go back to God's word over and over and over and over again. And the more you go to God's word over and over and again, the more your knowledge will grow, but your knowledge has been given to you at conversion. And so therefore, do we have a healthy theology? Doctrine is so important. And many people will say, well, doctrine divides. No, true doctrine unites. Let me say that again. True doctrine, who God is, will bring God's people together. But we in the church now, we, if we really begin to teach God's word, who God is, and we begin to study who God is, that means we're going to have to say some things that are going to offend some people. If you come to God's word and you do not think God's word's offensive, you're not reading it correctly. Because God's word has been given us to us by God to do one thing, to lead us in a life of holiness. Therefore, if we're to be led in a life of holiness, there are sinful things in our life that must get eradicated out of our lives. You cannot have holiness and sinfulness. They cannot continue to coexist. And so if you come to God's word and you have a discernment about theology, it's going to do something in you. And now he's going to move us into what does it mean to have a spirit-filled doctrine? That's the next few passages. Let's go to that. To avoid spiritual deception, you and I must be spirit-filled in our doctrine. There's three things that spirit-filled doctrine will do to us. Let's look at verse 21 through 23. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, He's saying, you know the truth. I write to you because you know the truth. But because you know it, 
and because no lie is in the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. Also, two things we see about spirit-filled doctrine. The first is this. True spirit-filled doctrine will lead you into a deeper relationship and understanding of Jesus. You see, he says that. You know the truth. And if you know the truth, then you're going to know Jesus. How come? Remember what he said, that which you have heard from the beginning. Remember in chapter 1, verse 1. He's saying Jesus is from the beginning, and Jesus is the Word. Do we have a spirit-filled devotion in our relationship with Jesus? It's not blatant in the text, but you can see it in the text. To have a spirit-filled doctrine will lead you into a deeper relationship with the church. You see, what I said a few moments ago, true devotion to Christ will lead true to true devotion with one another. That's what the whole context of this book is about. So we can assert that into the text so it's not blatant in the text. So I would say to you, and ask us as a church two things. Do we have a spirit-filled doctrine that's leading us into a deeper relationship with Christ? And is that deeper relationship in Christ leading us to have a deeper relationship with one another? You cannot love Jesus and hate his people. How many of you have heard that before? I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Any takers? Well, that can't simply be true. Because we're called to be the body of Christ. We have to love one another. So do we have a spirit-filled doctrine that leads us into deeper relationship with Christ and one another? Now, in the last part, to avoid spiritual deception... We must have spirit-filled devotion. And what are we to be devoted to? Three things in the text. Let's read verses 24 through the end of the text. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone should teach you. But as he is anointed, as as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he has taught abide in him three places that we must find spirit filled devotion. The first is this. We must continue to abide in Christ. Are you abiding in Him? Do you have a love for Christ? Think about the people in your life that you love. Think about your devotion to them. Your adoration to them. Do you have that type of abiding with Christ, he says it in the text. 
What you have heard from the beginning abides in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in them, you too will what? Abide in his son. So daily, are you abiding in Christ? Do you have a spirit-filled devotional life? Not because you have to. You see, I'm in God's word not because I have to. Or not because I should. It's because I need to. Remember what John said in his, that Jesus said, apart from you, I can do what? Nothing. It'd be like I'm a lamp with a long electrical cord. If that electrical cord is not plugged into a socket that gives off power, is the light going to ever turn on? It's useless. I mean, it's great to hang clothes on. But that light needs a source of power to light up a room. The same is true in your life and in my life. The source of our power is our abiding in Christ Jesus. Are we abiding in him today? Not only that, but he says this in the text. We must abide in his holy word. That which you have heard from the beginning, let's flip over just one page. Remember what he said at the beginning. He is the word. Remember what he says in John, the very first chapter of John. He is the word and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So if I'm dwelling in Christ, one of the ways I have to dwell in Christ is to dwell in his holy word. Are we, are you, are we the church dwelling in God's holy word? I think that's one of the most amazing things for me lately here at Palace Chapel is to watch y'all have a love not just for Jesus but for his word the stories about Monday night's Bible study is amazing to me it's not just a group of women getting together to watch a video it's a group of women that love Jesus and love God's word to, to hear even in in my study moments before the sermon uh, the, the older ladies' classroom, loving God's word. Hearing about the, 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 the young adult uh, ladies' classroom, loving God's word. May we as a church be known as a spirit-filled devotional church that loves God's word. And lastly, turn back. It's what he says at the very end. To avoid spiritual deception, we must abide in Christ. We must abide in, in his word. And the last one is this. You see it in throughout the text. We must abide in the spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit often gets, he's like the neglected Godhead. A lot of people talk about God, and a lot of people talk about Jesus, and a lot of people talk about God and Jesus. But there's the one that has the power. The power is in the Holy Spirit. If you remember back in our text, way back when we started the book of Genesis, remember it was the Holy Spirit through the words of the Holy Spirit that all of creation came about. God spoke. What was he speaking? The Holy Spirit 
into creation. So now my next question to you and to me and to this church is this. Are we abiding in the Spirit? Not just Christ. Not just the Word. Man, are we sitting without the Word? Uh, Hear me clearly. We ought to take God's Word and then we ought to go and meditate on God's Word. can't just simply read God's Word. We must allow the meditations of our heart, but it's the meditations of our heart where the Holy Spirit intersects, and then your life will be destroyed. If you sit quietly and listen to the Holy Spirit, He will do and tell you to do things. You're like, ah, that's, that sounds like a real bad idea, man. Any, any takers? Some of it's called like confessing your sins one to another. Like, ah, that's a bad idea. That's really terrifying. Am I the only one that's terrified of confession? I mean, I love confessing to God. But when I do harm to another person, I'm like, oh, man, I got to go make it right with them. Rather pass that one. But that's when I sit with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to reveal things in my life that need to come out of my life. And he reveals things in my, that aren't in my life that need to be in my life and vice versa. Are we sitting quietly with the Holy Spirit? Let me go back as we close to what he says to us. My fear would be this. Well, how do we do that? How do we have a spirit-filled life, in other words? How do we have a spirit-filled devotional life? How do we have a spirit-filled doctrine? It's what he says so plainly in the text. But here's the promise for us, church, this morning. But you have been anointed. Every one of you who claims to know Christ as your Savior, there is an anointing in your life. You don't need a special anointing. You don't need the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. You don't need a second anointing. At the moment, what John is saying, you have been anointed. By who? Catch it in the passage. The Holy One. Not a prayer. Like your prayer is not what did it for you. The Holy One did it for you. And He anointed you at the moment that you came from death to light. And at that moment, He says to us, John says, now you have all the knowledge that you need. So I know, and I've heard it from people here, I don't really know how to read the Bible. It's confusing. Yes, it is. Me too. I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years. And there's things I come across, I'm like, man, I I know I've read that before, but I've got no idea what it means. I need to sit with the Spirit and let the Spirit teach me what He's the one that put it. He's the one that wrote it. So if He's the one that wrote it, He knows what He means by it. And then when I sit with the Spirit, the Spirit will teach me what I need to know. So you, church, no more excuses. You have everything that you need for a life of knowledge and discernment about who God is. Go sit with Him, even when it's confusing. And let God's Word wash over you over and over and over and over again.
are you, I know it's confusing. For me to come up here and say God's word isn't confusing, that would be a lie. Like just this week, in my devotional life, I was reading something, I was like, man, I got no idea what that means. Got no clue. And so it took me on a hunt to figure it out. First, just with God, like God just revealed it to me. And when he didn't reveal it to me, I was like, okay, there's other godly, wiser men that have walked before me. It's called a commentary. Pick it up. Read it. And see what older, godlier, wiser men in the faith said about the text. But then ask God to give you discernment if what you're reading is actually true. There's a lot of people out there that say a lot of things about God's word that simply still aren't God's word. That's where it goes back to. Do we have spirit-filled discernment about God's word and who we listen to? May we be like the people. Let us be little children. Let us find ourselves to avoid spiritual deception, that we would know the truth. Let us have discernment. Let us have sound doctrine. And let us have a sweet devotional life. May we abide in Christ forever. Let me pray.